0: Hello, thank you for joining LTC NACChat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Post-Acute Care Nursing, APACIN. I'm your host, Amy Stewart, Vice President of Education and Certification Strategy for APACIN. I'm here today with Jessie McGill, a Curriculum Development Specialist with APACIN, to talk about how nurse assessment coordinators can start preparing for the retirement of Section G. Welcome, Jessie. It's great to be here, Amy. Jesse, this September, CMS released the draft item set that is expected to become effective October 1st of 2023. In this draft, we see many changes that I think we expected after the SNF PPS final rule, but there also seems to be some changes we did not expect. Can you provide an overview of these changes for our listeners?
1: Yes, Amy, and you're absolutely correct. We had uh, many things that we expected to see because of the SNF PPS final rule, such as the addition of the SPADES, which is the standardized patient assessment data elements. Now, these are different types of data items that we're going to collect on Medicare Part A residents only, and this added expansions to race, ethnicity, discharge, and entry status, as well as many other items including more detailed information on the start of stay and end-of-state when it comes to chemotherapy, oxygen use, and other special treatments, procedures, or programs in Section O. We also saw addition to the MDS for the SNF Quality Reporting Program measure. This, again, is only for our Medicare Part A residents. And CMS had previously finalized the Transfer of Health Information measures Now, there's two different measures that were finalized actually before the COVID-19 pandemic. However, they were placed on hold, and CMS now feels that we are ready to collect this information. So we'll now see the medication reconciliation on discharge items added to the discharge assessments for our Medicare Part A residents. Again, these were items we expected because they were finalized through the rulemaking process. Now we also saw some unexpected changes, and this is what we're going to see on the October 1st, 2023 MDS item set. Right now, all we have is that draft item set, but it does show us that in section N, CMS added to the high-risk drug classification, they added additional medications that we're going to collect information on, as well as coding if there was an indication for the use of that medication. So we have not only an expanded drug list, but also we have to look at the documentation to ensure we had an appropriate indication for use within that look back period. Another unexpected change that we saw was also in Section O. And I already talked about a few of these things, but. In addition to adding the more detailed items we're collecting for the chemotherapy and oxygen for those Medicare Part A residents, there's also going to be a change to the look-back periods. So the 14-day look-back, while not a resident, is no longer on the MDS for next October. So when we look at the Section O, special treatments, procedures, and programs, we're only going to be looking at while a resident. And the while a resident applies to all payer types. And then for our Medicare Part A residents only, we're going to collect this information on admission, which is during the first three days of the Medicare stay, on discharge, which is those last three days of the Medicare stay, And then again, for all residents, both the Medicare Part A and all other payer types will collect that information for while a resident in the last 14 days. Now, currently what we have for that section is the look back period during the 14 days and also while not a resident, which would have included any information prior to admitting to the facility. That's going to be gone next October. Another unexpected change is the removal of the Optional State Assessment or OSA. Now, right now, it is an option in Section A0310. If your state requires the OSA or Optional State Assessment, you can check that and complete that assessment for your state. However, on the draft item set for next October, that option is removed. So again, right now, all we have is the draft nursing home comprehensive item set for next October. But as of right now, OSA is no longer an option for next October. Now, most notably, the retirement of Section G was an unexpected change. And I say unexpected because we did know that CMS was planning to retire Section G. But at some point, they did say that they were going to wait two full fiscal years till after the end of the public health emergency of COVID-19 in order to make this change. Now, CMS has since said that we have had enough opportunity to prepare for the removal of Section G. And so they are moving forward with the retirement of Section G and transitioning to Section GG for those items. So we're going to have a few items that we are familiar with in Section G moving over to GG next October. This includes the functional limitations and range of motion, as well as how a resident can bathe or shower themselves.
0: Before we talk about the retirement of Section G, I'm wondering what impact the removal of the optional state assessment will have on providers.
1: Oh, that's a great question, Amy. So the OSA is state specific. So it's only going to impact states who already were using that OSA assessment. So the handful of states had opted to collect information on the OSA. Now, what some states had previously been rumored to consider is continuing their legacy payment model, such as the RUGS, RUGS for using the OSA and keeping Section G just on that OSA state-specific assessment. However, with the removal of that assessment, it really makes it seem like states will not be able to use this assessment unless they can support it themselves. So to provide a little bit more information about the OSA and how states might be able to use this assessment going forward is through a letter that CMS issued to state Medicaid directors. Now, this was a public letter issued September 21st, 2022, and it was regarding guidance on nursing facility state plan payment and upper payment limit approaches in Medicaid relying on Medicare patient-driven payment model. And in this letter, it states that states that wish to continue to use RUGS 3 or RUGS 4 after October 1, 2023 for either state plan payment methodologies or upper payment limit demonstrations will need to implement a new process called optional state assessments or OSAs to gather the needed assessment data, which will allow the states to calculate a RUGS payment amount for the services provided to the Medicaid beneficiaries and CMS is not going to support the OSA or those legacy payment models. So when we take that into consideration, if the state does not have the resources or the capability to support the RUG system on their own through their own OSA type assessment, then they will need to transition to an alternative payment such as PDPM, the patient-driven payment model, or a similar hybrid model, as we've already seen some states transition. What this means is that unless the state can support its own OSA, its own optional state assessment, there does not appear to be a way for Section G to be coded on an MDS that's supported by CMS only after October 1st, 2023. It sounds
0: like providers are going to need to be in touch with their state Medicaid agencies to find out if they're going to be utilizing an OSA that's supported by their state or some other payment methodology. Providers have just under one year to prepare for the retirement of Section G. What should they be doing now?
1: So there's a lot we can do now, but the first thing I would say is don't ignore Section G. It's still very important. It will continue to be very important all the way up until October 1st, 2023. So if you are in one of those states that use case mix payments, that use the MDS and Section G for your Medicaid payment model, Section G is still going to have a significant impact on your Medicaid reimbursement all the way up through September 30th, 2023. So right before we transition. Your care area triggers are still going to trigger off of your ADLs in Section G. Quality measures, 5-star, all of that is going to be impacted by your Section G coding from today all the way through when we transition October 1st, 2023.
0: That's a great point. Section G will still have a significant impact on many aspects of care and reporting until it goes away.
1: And maybe even a little bit longer, Amy, when we think about how this data is publicly reported, Five Star uses four rolling quarters of data. So Section GG has the potential to continue to impact for quite some time after its retirement. But at the same time that we have to maintain this accuracy for Section G, there are some ways that we can start preparing for Section GG to become that primary source Of functional status assessment for our facility. And there's two things that I would recommend facilities focus on now to start preparing for the retirement of Section G, and that would be updating care plans and training staff.
0: On the September APAC and webinar, you presented on the SNF PPS final rule. You also spoke briefly about updating care plans as part of the preparation for transition from G to GG. What are some of the best practices NACs and team members can use to complete these updates?
1: You're right, Amy. I did talk about it on that webinar as well. So I think it's a really easy thing that we can start doing now to prepare ourselves for next October. So in order to ease this transition and working on what we can prepare today that won't have an impact on the accuracy of the coding of Section G, is to really work on that care plan and APAC and nurses created a crosswalk tool to help NACs and interdisciplinary team members update care plans and start moving that language from section GADL language to section GG functional abilities language.
0: That is a great tool. Can you provide some examples of how it could be used?
1: Absolutely. So if we look at some of the key differences between G and GG, let's take supervision and limited assist for an example. So for Section G, we have supervision and limited assist as two separate areas. But in Section GG, they're lumped into one larger category. So consider you have a care plan that is that a resident needs limited assist for oral hygiene. Well, right now today, if we had a survey or anybody ask, what does limited assist mean? We can go to the REI user's manual and we can look at the definition of limited assist because limited assist is a functional level of assistance from section G in our ADL section. So this amount of assistance is used when a resident is highly involved in the activity and received physical help from staff but not weight-bearing assistance, so guided maneuvering of their limbs or other non-weight-bearing type of assistance. Once Section G is retired, that definition of limited assist is retired with it because limited assist is not used in Section GG. In Section GG, it uses terms for supervision or touching assistance, which is that level, and is defined as when a helper provides verbal cues or touching assist, steadying assist, contact guard. So it's several different words that provide that non weight bearing level of assist that's still hands on that would equate to the limited assist. But again, using different terminology that is more in align with what we'll be coding in section G, but also is supported with what we have to use for Section G ADLs up until September. So if we say, instead of limited assist, that we are using touching, guiding, steadying, or guided maneuvering, one of those terms that is not limited assist but still explains the level of assistance provided will have that care plan that will seamlessly transition from Section G ADLs to Section GG next October. The free APACAN tool will help NACs and team members who are updating the CARE plans identify terms that are specific to the retirement of Section G, such as limited assist, extensive assist, or total dependence, and help them to replace these terms with equivalent terms that are used from Section GG. So, I already used that example with the limited assist in oral hygiene and being able to transition that into a more descriptive term that still says the same level of contact, but does not use limited assist, which is specific to Section G.
0: That's a great example. I'd like to go back to something you said. You mentioned that total assistance is retiring with Section G. Won't we still have total dependence with GG?
1: Oh, thank you, Amy, and I'm glad you pointed that out so I can add a little bit of clarification. So total dependence as we know it for Section G is going away, and it's going to be replaced by dependent in Section GG. So a very minor change in the terminology there, total dependence to dependent, um, and really interchangeable. However, the reason I pointed this out is because the definitions change. So I wanna make sure that if staff are using total dependence in their care planning terminology, that they're really making sure that it meets the definition of section GG. So in section GG, total dependence or dependent care is coded if the helper does all of the effort, the resident does none of the effort to complete the activity. So that part aligns. But it goes on to add the second part, if the assistance of two or more helpers is required for the resident to complete the activity. So, under Section GG, if you need two or more staff to help complete an activity, that is also considered dependent. We will need to be very careful when using the term dependent in our care plans after October 1st, 2023. Thank you for
0: that clarification. You also mentioned training staff. How would you recommend
1: training staff at this time? Well, I would definitely do it in a phased-in approach. And unless your staff is already familiar with Section GG, I would not recommend training your direct care staff yet. So there's going to be some differences based on your facility setup and what your facility is familiar with. So if you have a predominantly Medicare Part A population population, and so you've already trained your nurse aides in Section GG because that's the primary functional status assessment tool that you use, then there's not going to be as much of a transition going through October 1st next year. But if you have a facility that relies on Section G ADLs for the majority of your functional documentation, your drug care staff need to continue to code Section G ADLs accurately for the next almost year, all the way till next October. But what you can do is you can start looking at your nurses who you may need to rely on to help answer the questions about functional assessment for your Medicare residents during those first three days of the admission and the last three days of the Medicare stay. So you're getting your nurses more involved in the documentation of how the resident performs in those different tasks, better understanding of the tasks with Section GG and better understanding about those differences in the level of assistance under Section GG. I'd also start providing some training to your nurses on usual performance and how that is determined and including them in that conversation of the collaboration of clinicians who are responsible to determine the usual performance during those first three days of the Medicare stay and the last three days of the Medicare stay. When we get to next October and we're looking at usual performance for all of our residents, regardless of payer type, for the admission, for the annual, for the quarterly assessments, this is where we may need to have the nurses more involved. And if they have a really sound understanding about the process that goes into Section GG, as well as those tasks and the level of assist, they're going to really help support your ongoing efforts when it's time to start training those direct care staff.
0: When would you advise teams to start training nurse aides on Section GG?
1: Oh, so many different factors to consider. And I would definitely look at how well your facility has adapted to different trainings, your turnover rates, and maybe even start by identifying some champion nurse aides who are long-term, good mentors, maybe they've helped with onboarding new nurse aides, someone you can start training early to really start to gauge the training need and how long you think you will need to train. I would say you do not want to start more than 30 or 60 days before the transition. And again, that may need to be adjusted based on your unique facility needs. But the thing you want to consider most is that you need to maintain the accuracy of Section G all the way through midnight of September 30th, 2023. And then after midnight, the new India's item set, version 1.18.11, becomes effective October 1st, 2023. And Section GG will be used for the functional assessments. So we need nurse aides, the direct care staff, to be very comfortable with Section G. So when they learn Section GG, they have the resources they need, they have an understanding, and making sure you have those champions trained so that if there are questions during the day, there's staff that's right there and readily available to assist. Now, another thing you may want to consider is a train-the-trainer program. A does offer a Section GG Train the Trainer Certificate Program, and this program provides education on Section GG and provides training materials and resources for direct care staff. So, using a tool or a program where you can have tools to train as well as resources for your drug care staff, so that they have something written down to refer to and some quick reference material to help the accuracy as they go through that transition will be really key. And then, of course, providing that ongoing training after the transition to ensure that the training was well received and that your coding is accurate. Thank you,
0: Jesse. That is an excellent resource, and I appreciate you sharing this great information. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. For more resources and tools for nurse assessment coordinators, please visit our website at www.aapacn.org. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the LTC NAC Chat podcast. Heard the news about how you can improve quality care and increase efficiency with Ability? Ability offers a range of applications to simplify the complexity of healthcare allowing organizations of all types and sizes to spend more time on care and less time manually collecting, analyzing, and reporting data. This allows you to remain in compliance while making data-driven decisions that benefit residents. With Ability, your facility can improve resident outcomes, optimize reporting data, enhance reimbursements, and much, much more. Discover what Ability has to offer at AbilityNetwork.com slash APACIN.